Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with a different Joe from Vanity Fair, but a Joe that we love equally. If not today, maybe more. I'm here with Joe Pompeo, who is a fantastic, fantastic media reporter who has worked with me at the Hive for a number of years. Joe, what's your official title? I think it's like senior media correspondent. I just say media correspondent. I like the senior. senior. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I must say, I want to know more about these juicy magazine features that uh, you and and the other Joe are apparently working on. Well, the other Joe has been very busy. He's got some really good stuff coming. I have something that I am just desperately trying to finish up before a baby appears. So I am desperately racing against the clock. But you, you have an incredible story in the June issue of Vanity Fair. It's a great issue in general, but uh, your story is my favorite. The headline, I believe, is something, it's a quote, and the quote is, you may never see those numbers again. Can cable news pass the post-Trump test? So I'm going to start off by asking you the question that your headline poses. Can cable news pass the post-Trump test? You know, I think it depends on what we're talking about cable news looking like as a medium in the future. If you talk to these these networks, it's, you know, it's as much as like they are, you know, sending these these ratings press releases every month. And it seems like this is the most important thing that they they care about when you you talk to and you hear kind of, you know, um, what they're saying. Uh, in a piece like mine, it's all about new platforms and, you know, and, and uh, these new sh- uh, streaming and finding the viewers where they're going and all that. So, you know, I think that the messaging I got from this piece was, was very much that, you know, it's, it's not just about pure TV anymore. But if we're talking about the post-Trump test, you know, from a pure ratings perspective, like, will we ever see those numbers again? I think that I think probably, probably not, you know, but never say never, because who knows what sort of crazy event will happen in the world, you know, akin to January 6th, which you know, CNN, it was literally at the most watch day in, in CNN's history, you know, so, so never say never, you know, will there be numbers as high as that again? We, we don't know, but I think as a trend line, unless we have Trump again in, in four years from now or, or some other, you know, some, something, something similar, it's hard to imagine you know, a sustained period of like that level of interest in, in these networks. And I think we're talking about, you know, these networks, you know, I mean, they, they all benefited from Trump in some way, but I think, you know, MSNBC and CNN were, were, were beneficiaries in a, in a way where, you know, their, their viewership really got juiced by this, you know, and, and, and of course they were seen, you know, MSNBC, uh, and and increasingly CNN were seen as kind of um, you know the quote unquote opposition networks to Trump, but also just people were were, were tuning in who weren't tuning in before. Um, that's not mm. happening anymore. So you know I think that right now, um, if the post Trump test is you know are we going to have you know can we get back to these numbers that we were enjoying you know six months ago a year ago? Probably not, and that's just the reality. What, what do you, th- you 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 um, you know you appear on cable news from time to time? What, what do you think? You know, it's so interesting, and you and I talk about this all the time as you go into your reporting and just as we talk as friends. And I think it's a great thing for society that the numbers aren't where they are. I think I personally, as a consumer, have 
basically been watching no cable news and that's not good for my job to say that, but like, I don't enjoy it anymore because it doesn't feel urgent. And if I feel that way and I am a true news hound, then I can imagine people who tuned in for the drama of it all or because they were scared of what they were missing at the end of a day. And there was something missing at the end of the day. If you weren't watching it all, all the time, because there was so much news, those more casual viewers who tuned in because it was an extraordinary time, I would imagine they definitely feel that way. But you brought up something really interesting and it was in the piece as well. There were before the last five years, I worked at CNN before I was at Vanity Fair And I can remember vividly, like you kind of had to create the news out of, out of events. And so like weather events were huge or a really down day on the stock market or, uh, the ill-fated cruise or, uh, you know, the missing airplane, which are two examples you gave in your story. Um, those became week long of like rating bonanzas, but those were few and far between and you really had to lean into them. As they did for weeks on end at the time, if you remember the, I mean, the, the Malaysian plane was, yeah. it was a, a weeks long bonanza of, of nonstop coverage. I completely remember sitting in the CNN newsroom for like probably three weeks and every day just hearing at the top of every show about this missing plane, which I think during the Trump era, it sounded so quaint that we would spend so much time on one story that was kind of like, I mean, it was an important story, but to most people's lives, it was inconsequential. And we would long for a day over the last five years where there was any kind of inconsequential that was get, inconsequential story that was getting any kind of attention. And I just think even if we have, I'm sure there will be stories at our day events, um, either tragedies or really important news-wise that we'll we'll get great ratings for these cable networks, we're not going to have the same sustained mania that we had over the last five years. I think that that era is over. I think too, you know, it was such a moment. And I think really, I tried to capture this, you know, in in, in the piece, there was, I had a source um, who described January 6th, you know, the the ratings that day, they, they said, use the term peak cable news. And I kind of thought that more broadly that from like, from the election, you know, to January 6th and into, you know, a little bit after that, it really did feel like this is the peak of the peak of this, of this medium, right? Because there was such, I mean, just, you couldn't not watch. And this is kind of what like cable news is made for and, and where it shines these, uh, it, you know, it, it was, it was, it was an election story. It was like a big you know, crazy world. It was all these things rolled into one, you know, kind of like a car crash in, in, in some ways. Um, and, you know, this notion of like peak cable news, it was, it was, there's something about it. There's a cultural phenomenon. And I think this really came across in like the Leslie Jones shtick, which I, which I um, right. used as the lead of my piece because it was like, we're, we're still in the thick in the thick of this pandemic we're not going to movies. I mean, I guess you know we're watching uh, Netflix and things like that. But really, we're we're all like watching this you know hilarious uh, comedian um, watch MSNBC segments and you know do this hilarious commentary about them. I mean, everyone was there was this moment where like everyone, at least in our world, was like obsessed with that, um, and it just felt like this is this is like zeitgeist, right? Um, 
And that is so, you know, that, that faded away very, very quickly. I think that like that, that era around the election that then led into January 6th. It's so interesting to think back. And now it seems like a lifetime ago, even though it was a second ago, we were very clearly like peak pandemic and peak uh, actual news with a capital N. And so it makes complete sense that it was such a ratings thing. There was, we were kind of all out of content. All the shows had really any, anyone who had a season in the can had come out with it. And so there was literally nothing else to do but watch the news and the news happened to also be interesting. So I think you had that moment where everyone was hyper-focused on what was happening in the news because there was just nothing else. But I will say that before that, and you and I have talked about this a lot, over the last five years, it kind of felt like news had sort of replaced regular television programming. Absolutely. I mean... People who were watching like normal sitcoms didn't watch it anymore and watch the news. And and I can say from my personal experience, like that I would ever get recognized in the street is literally the most insane thing in the entire world. But I got recognized on the street all the time for like people would come up to me and be like, hey, didn't you write the book about the Trump kids? Or like, didn't you interview Michael Cohen? It's like, what are you, don't you guys have better things to do with your life? This is insane. And, and I just really feel like it, over the last five years, people who were in the news became the new sitcom stars in a way. And I, I just such an interesting shift that we saw over the last five years. And now I really feel like it's, it's dialing back. Oh, absolutely. And, and we did, uh, you know, Vanity Fair, as you'll remember, a couple years ago, the kind of mid-Trump presidency, we did a big package about cable news. And that was kind of the idea. Like, this is the new, this is like the Hollywood, these are the movie stars or the celebrities of our time are... Uh, in these talking heads on the TV channels because people were all obsessed with them and all this this new star system was created out of out of this um, and some of that's fallen away because even aside from just the, the you know the anchors that we you know know for you know have known for a long time um, you know there was all these new people like like you or other reporters who were suddenly had you know this intel this information that was like the the hot commodity that everyone wanted. So these people, whether it's, you know, Maggie Haberman or Josh Jossie, any, any number of these kind of uh, reporters or like experts in Russia or the DOJ, any of you know, these people all became um, celebrities in a sense. Um, and that's because the, you know, it, it was a commodity that, you know, everyone wanted for these, these four years, they wanted like the inside dish. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot totally. of people report, I'm, you know, people, aren't necessarily going on as much or, you know, don't have their, the, the contracts they had to go on TV for for those four years. And, um, you know, I think that probably new, uh, you know, new personality and, and new stars will, will, you know, still come out of these mediums. But, um, you know, it was definitely a moment where it felt like these people were kind of like A-lists in a way that they hadn't been before. Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, 
for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. your your opinion or, or you talk to other reporters it's a, definitely a big shift for reporters to go from you know being scrappy newsroom journalists who like have free pizza in the newsroom and work weird hours and like wear t-shirts to work to being brands and I feel like there there was a real shift over the last little stretch of time where you had to be tweeting all the time and you had to uh, like care about what you wore on television. And you were, it was sort of like the busy Olympics and you really sort of had to become a brand in a way that reporters traditionally are not supposed to become brands. Was that something that you have paid attention to at all? Yeah. I mean, that was, there was definitely, that was, I think in the, especially in like the earlier days of Twitter, that was like the pressure was to engage. And, you know, once you have an area of expertise, you know, to, to really sell that and you're the, you're the person that people have to come to for, for this. I think with like the, with the cable news of the past four years, I really do think it was more just about like the people with the information, you know, people, MSNBC wanted, you know, Mike Schmidt because whenever there was some like massive scoop about the Russia story that he breaks in the times, they're going to have him on, the air right away. Right. So I think that like, yes, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a certain element of branding, but I, I just think it was people were desperate for information and insight, you know, at a very rapid pace, because, you know, as, as you remember from this news cycle, things happen. And, and 10 minutes later, there's another insane thing that, that happened. So I feel like the people who had the information really benefited and, and kind of became stars in that way, you know, as, as opposed to more of like the, you know, the, the, the marketing yourself, you know, on social media or, or, or whatever. Yeah, you're totally right. The people who had the goods were the people, like, it was actually like kind of a merit-based yes. thing, which is remarkable. Uh, it doesn't always work like that, but it really felt like if you're someone who was a scoop machine or had a deep institutional knowledge about X or Y, like that was rewarded. And it's so rare in life that, that actual expertise gets rewarded both in terms of like monetarily and also just recognition. It just doesn't happen very much. I'm wondering, we're now like slightly post Trump. I don't think about him every day. I definitely don't mention his name every day. Although this week he's very much in the ether. I feel like, um, what do, we, what do we make of his website shutting down now that I, I think about the news this week? Are you shocked? You know, I have to say, I didn't pay attention closely enough. Like, I was like ambiently aware that he had this new quote unquote platform. I never heard it referred <laughs> to as a blog until, um, you know, I saw the stories about it shutting down. But I think that speaks to like the reason he shut it down. You know, I was reading, I think Annie Carney in the Times had a report from like his, you know, he had his associates telling him like, no one's reading this or, you know, it's not even breaking through. So it's a bad look for you. So you should just shut it down. Right. So, I, I mean, I was barely even aware of it, really. It's kind of amazing. It did feel good. But also, you know, I think um, there's not the same need for information, you know, every second of the day as there was in this kind yes. of immediate post-Trump era. I mean, certainly like there's not people who need to translate what's happening inside the Biden White House at that pace, you know, like it just, it's just, it's, it's apples and oranges, you know? And, um, I don't think anything else has replaced that yet. Do you, 
in, in terms of the news cycle and specifically the TV cable news cycle that, that we've been seeing in the past few months? No. And my great concern coming out of this was that, and I anecdotally was seeing it initially where I really felt like people had become true addicts to cable news and to that news cycle. And that even when Trump left, that they were still so obsessed with knowing, like they were obsessed with the currency of breaking news, that they were tuning into stuff that wasn't breaking and it was completely non-urgent and they just couldn't quit that like cycle of looking for drama and knowing what was happening. And I was so nervous that people were just going to like continue to glue themselves to television that was just repeating Drek over and over and over again. But I will say, I think, I think the fact that we are sort of coming out of a pandemic and people are getting back into normal life and living this like hot vac summer and the weather is nice. Like I actually think that that is the only saving grace to pull people out of this addiction. When I also think we should be, we should clarify. I think that what we're talking about here, we're talking about people, you know, we're, we're generalizing and about people being addicted and they're not watching anymore. We're really talking about viewers of MSNBC and CNN. I think Fox news and this, you know, I think shows and that they're, they're number one again, you know, there was, there was, um, you know, a time where they slipped into third place, you know, for the first time, which was, which was just unthinkable. And, you know, now I, I, you know, they're back on top and I think that they are kind of tapping into, you know, things that their audience are obsessed with. Right. So I think that there's this whole other uh, segment of, of cable news viewers, Fox news viewers that have been very animated and engaged, maybe, maybe even more so than they were. So, you know, when you have, um, you know, in, in prime time, especially the hosts have really leaned into kind of the culture wars and cancel culture or whatever it is, you know, um, these kind of things that really like, you know, give their viewers th- this kind of red meat that they crave, especially now that the party uh, that most Fox viewer, viewers, you know, you, you would think are not um, <laughs> supporters of is in power um, and that the country is moving in a direction that is probably, you know, uh, frightening or, or um, uh, you know, just, you know, not appealing to, to, to those viewers. So I think they are probably engaged more. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that we're seeing Fox bounce back and get back on top, you know, speaks to that. And that's the problem for CNN and MSNBC is that these people who they did bring in to become addicts, you know, have, have kind of tuned out. So it, it's, 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 you know, we talk about, we say cable news and the, and the piece, you know, um, it's about cable news as a whole, but it's really a distinction. And I do think there's kind of like a, a line when we're talking about, you know, cable news, MS and CNN and cable news and Fox news. Some people will just say left or right. And, you know, is CNN left now or not or whatever, but, you know, it's definitely not like a monolithic audience. And I think that's important to note. That is very important. And, and it's my mistake in, in, in putting them all together because it is not one monolithic body that is watching. And I think that it's probably, it's probably, to and change bodies. Um, I think that that there is a big crossover between people who watch CNN and MSNBC, but it's not a total. When well, we haven't even talked, we haven't even mentioned Newsmax or OAN, which you know. Be- That's exactly <laughs> right. I want to ask you about that because you mentioned earlier the fact that MSNBC and CNN, to some extent, really benefited from being in the opposition, and I think it's very clear that. Uh, Fox News and OAN and Newsmax are now sort of in the opposition, though when I tune in 
it's it really is less about Biden because there's I don't think Biden's giving them a ton to work with there, and more about the very traditional Republican culture yes. war stuff. And that's always been something that's always been kind of like a bread and butter for for Fox News. You know, like even you know in the days of Bill O'Reilly or, or whoever. You know, that's not like necessarily new. No, that's that's how they started. Like that's that's the real the clause uh, and, and the war on Christmas and all this stuff. That's exactly right. So. I want to go kind of network by network or zone by zone with you. Let's start with the Newsmaxes and the OANs. What's happening with them, you know, three, four months post-Trump? Well, uh, well, OAN is not measured. Um, so we don't really know anything about their audience other than that it's, you know, vanishingly small um, and certainly is like the most extreme, radical, you know, right-wing Trump friendly network that, that, that there is. Right. And I, I, I don't know that, um, you know, it's like the people I was just, there was a CNN segment recently where they were interviewed, like the woman who was, you know, the kind of like, uh, the, the Arizona, uh, lawmaker who was really like behind the, the recount. And, you know, she was finally giving this, in this interview to a CNN reporter who had like ambushed her and, and said like, you know, the reporter said something about like, well, you, you see that on OAN. And she said, but you don't think OAN's a credible news network? I mean, that's kind of, that kind of sums, <laughs> sums it up. It's like, um, oh, it's in the crazy town, right? Uh, Newsmax had a huge surge, you know, particularly during the, the, the interregnum of, um, you know, the, the post-election, you know, up to January 6th period, uh, where they, I think, were giving the right-leaning viewers, even what Fox News was not, you know, because Fox News, you know, to a large extent was tethered to reality despite, despite you know, the kind of like the Maria Bartiromo's or Lou Dobbs's of, uh, of the world, you know, it was the Fox decision desk that enraged Trump by uh, calling the election for Biden that night. And, you know, you, did, you even had like Tucker Carlson, you know, I remember um, the segment he did about Sidney Powell, which he was kind of saying like, where's all this evidence, Sidney Powell, if there's so much, you know, uh, voter fraud and all this. And, and, you know, why don't you show And the subtext was kind of like this lady's crazy, but that is, and that's, that kind yeah. of alienated a certain segment of, of people who would have been tuning into Fox news. And they were able to get that from Newsmax, and I think Newsmax really, really capitalized that. Their their numbers have actually have, have obviously you know fallen, and I think that when you, like everyone's numbers have, have fallen from a certain high of of, of, of the Trump era, um, and Newsmaxes have have certainly um, really really come down. But I think you know I, I talked to Chris Ruddy, the CEO of Newsmax, for this story, for for my story, and he you know his point was like if our you know all along, all I ever wanted to do was kind of capture a piece of, of the Fox News audience. And I feel like we've done that. And, and I feel like it's a win. And, you know, the other thing is there's these 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 lawsuits that, that Newsmax and Fox News are facing uh, kind of about the voting fraud claims that they pushed and they've had to kind of pull right. back from that. So, um, so I think, you know, Newsmax, I think, is probably like, you know, it's fallen far back from, you know, kind of these 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 moments of excitement when it was like there was a night when they beat Fox News for the first time. Um, Fox, you know, back, like I said, I think I believe back on top. I'm pretty sure like in every in every metric now they're they're the Nielsen leader again. You know, and, and you know, I think that, like I said, I, I really think they have kind of capitalized on this culture, the culture wars moment. Um, mm. Tucker Carlson, just like an utter, utter phenomenon there he had really of all the of all the hosts across the board coming out of the trump era he had like the most minimal decline i think that i say in the story it was like when you're comparing um you know november versus like march or whatever it was you know mostly everyone was down 
double digits or something, um, you know, and, and some people were, were down, you know, like 30%. Tucker was like, had lost like 4%, you know, he, why is that? You know, I think that, I mean, he has a certain confluence of like, you know, you know, intellectual pedigree, nativist bona fides, you know, he definitely like, uh, capitalizes on that, you know, kind of like populist rage and, um, but also like a willingness to go against the grain, you know, I mean, this is like Tucker Carlson was the one who, who, you know, um, rushed over to, uh, Mar-a-Lago to, you know, slap sense into Trump about the pandemic and, you know, the Sidney Powell thing. He's just not, he's not always predictable, Yes. which I think is also, you know, and, and he's someone that they ta- has talked about, you know, seriously as a, as a possible contender in, in 2024. But I think some people feel like he kind of is the new Trump. He's kind of inherited that, you know, he's, he's taken on that, that mantle of Trump's been deplatformed. Um, and, and Tucker Carlson, um, you know, very much is, is, is mega platformed at, at this point. It's interesting. He, Cause he, he has taken on that mantle that, that, Trump took on, which is sort of like the aggrieved mm-hmm. majority. Yeah. And he does that really well. Though I will say that moment with him and Matt Gates in the interview where Matt Gates sort of threw him under the bus as being part of a dinner with Matt Gates's alleged underaged fling. It was really amazing television. Everyone, and everyone loved that moment. You know, like liberals love that. You know, it's just, it, there's a certain, like, something about him where, um, you know, even if you hate Tucker Carlson, there's going to be moments where you could, like, you know, enjoy what, what, what you see on, <laughs> on your screen when you're watching him. Let me ask you, you, because you mentioned this in your piece, and I thought it was fascinating, and I'm wondering where it stands now. What is happening with the Murdoch family post-Trump and now that, that Rupert Murdoch is 90 years old? Where is the succession battle as it, as it stands right now? I know that you mentioned in the story that some people believe that um, once Rupert is no longer, that there will be an attempt by some of the Murdoch siblings to exert more control. Is that right? Well, there's been some reporting on that. You know, Brian Stelter in his book about Fox News uh, this past year floated that. And then as Murdoch turned 90 this spring, there was a pair of like, you know, very closely watched, uh, closely read articles, at least in our, in our world, um, and the FT and, and The Economist that both also floated that, that there's, you know, going to be this this effort um, between James Murdoch, who is, you know, uh, center left and uh, is no secret he despises um, Fox News and everything it, it does and stands for, and his and his sisters, and Lachlan, who is the CEO of Fox Corp, which which owns Fox News. You know, the the um, the wishful thinking, maybe maybe it's the best we could say it is right now, is that they in like a post Rupert world. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly how the trust works and all that, but like that they would reassert influence within the company and, you know, kind of like rein in Fox news or, or whatever. It, I think that, you know, right now we could just say that's wishful thinking. You know, I mean, I spoke to someone in the story, um, a source, you know, in the Murdoch orbit. And I think the quote they gave me was that, that, that James has no interest in overseeing Fox News, but he does believe it's a menace, menace to democracy. So, you know, stay tuned. Who knows? But Lachlan also, he gave an interview uh, to Claire Atkinson of Business Insider a few weeks ago and, and, you know, kind of planted his stake very firmly and said, you know, I plan to be here for decades. Um, and he really has, 
he's, he's been out there a lot, you know, different corporate conferences and giving some interviews and kind of really, um, you know, the, the messaging is, you know, we, we are uh, center right and you know, our viewers appreciate our, our center right perspective. And, you know, he's, 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 he's not backing away at all from, from any, any of this, um, including, you know, the segment um, that, that Tucker Carlson was, was criticized for, you know, when, when he kind of, you know, was bemoaning, uh, you know, the supposed dilution of, of his voting power and uh, the Anti-Defamation League condemned this, you know, they called on Lachlan to like do something about it. And he kind of said, you know, I don't, you know, I, uh, we stand by this. I think even, you know, some of the vaccine stuff that has been, he's standing, he's, he's standing by, you know, and I think that there's people who really want to see some like level of Lachlan or the Murdochs or Paul Ryan on the Fox core board, like doing something about a lot of the content that, that people see on Fox, but you know, for the, for the short term, at least, I don't think anything is going to happen um, there. So, and who knows, you know, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch has a uh, family who um, has good genes, I think, and his, his mother lived to be very old and he could be here 10 more, eight, 10 more years. I, I don't think he thinks of himself as going anywhere anytime soon. So it's really fun speculation for people like us. It is so juicy. I mean, it's a good thing that they've made a very juicy television show based off of the succession drama. But I, I venture to say that the real life version of it is just as entertaining. While we are on the subject of some sort of family drama, it brings me to think about CNN a little bit. And uh, the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of attention on Chris Cuomo advising his brother, Governor Andrew Cuomo, on the sexual harassment allegations. And I'm wondering if you're hearing or if you've heard at all anything about what the talk is within CNN about that incident. And then I want to ask you a question about CNN more broadly. You know, I think I kind of feel like it's seen. I, you know, I haven't done a lot of reporting on that specifically. I haven't gone like searching for the grumbling. I'm sure there is. Um, I don't think it's like, you know, as far as I can tell, Internally, there hasn't been a lot of fallout over this. Zucker has stood by Chris Cuomo. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it's not just this most recent, um, I guess, kind of conflict of interest scandal he's found himself in was advising his brother. But there was also just the, you know, the fact that he had his, his brother, the governor, on at the height of the pandemic, I think, about a dozen times in these kind of very freewheeling, friendly interviews, which is arguably what the moment called for when you had this governor who was seen at the time of, you know, as kind of like a you know, a, a, a leader in terms of pandemic response. And then he, you know, when the governor started getting into these, these sorted um, Me Too sort of scandals, Chris Cuomo had to suddenly, you know, recuse himself. And a lot of people, you know, said that, that it's a very bad look for CNN. It's just hypocritical. And, you know, so, so it's that. And then it's also, we, we've, we've since learned that he advised his, his brother on the sexual harassment scandal. So it's kind of like, a, it was like a, double header of uh, journalistic conflicts. But, you know, as far as I know, his ratings are still, I think they just put out ratings yesterday. I think he's still like had the, the number one show in the air. Um, his boss is standing by him, the network standing by him. So, you know, I think that, you know, it doesn't seem like anything is going to come of that either. You know, I think there are definitely people who are like <laughs> are hungry for some accountability around that. And, and I think we're probably going to be disappointed. Well, it's not dissimilar from his brother, right? Where his approval ratings are yeah. pretty much where they were. And, and he was not dinged by the allegations. And it's such an interesting thing. I think about it a lot because I don't know what the answer is 
you can't fire before all this controversy. And I have a different opinion about the specific controversy, but you can't fire someone because their brother becomes governor, right? Like they're both allowed to hold public jobs. It's just such a sticky thing when, when your brother is the governor and then suddenly that job becomes news all the time. Uh, and, and just saying, I'm not going to cover this story when you covered him for so long. It's just, it's a very, very sticky situation that I don't know the answer to, but I think I can understand people who are hungry for accountability. Let's talk about CNN more broadly. So CNN is now spun off from AT&T. Um, we're also in a very different news environment than we were several months ago. So just give me the 30,000 foot view of where we are with CNN. What, what does this spinoff mean for the company? And where does CNN sit news-wise now post-Trump? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things to unpack here. One, you know, CNN is all about the leader of CNN, which is Jeff Zucker. And before, and you know, CNN is part of Warner Media, which is being spun off from AT&T, as you know, and being combined with Discovery. So it's going to be, you know, they're kind of putting together a mega company that will encompass, you know, everything from... Warner Brothers to um, HBO and CNN to now, you know, the Discovery and all of those brands. Um, so it's going to be, you know, a, a suddenly a very, very big player. And what's, you know, the, the palace entry or the Kremlin, Kremlinology here that is important to note is that, you know, uh, Jeff Zucker is very close um, with David Zaslav, who is the, the CEO of Discovery and will be the CEO of this new company. So the question for CNN before this you know, merger was announced, you know, pretty suddenly um, was what is he going to do next? And he had signaled his intention to leave at the end of this year when his contract's up. You know, he was, this has been reported, I've, I've reported on this and others too. He was basically had one foot out the door last fall and, and uh, was ready to leave. And a lot of that had to do uh, kind of with a conflict um, with the current CEO of Warner Media, Jason Kyler, um, who's now kind of the odd man out in, in all of this. So now that you have this new company, uh, everyone is now wondering, I think that this is, you know, I had a, a former CNN executive texted me like the second this news came and said, this is how Jeff Zucker stays, you know? Mm. And he hasn't said, he's kind of signaled, my plans are still the same, but I'm open. And and then David Zaslov's kind of said, same, the same diplomatic things you say in these situations, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think that everyone is, is expecting and wondering especially people at CNN who, who didn't want to see Jeff Zucker go because by and large, he's, he's very beloved and strongly supported uh, by his, his journalists at that network are now thinking like, is he really going to go anywhere? I, you know, it, will he have some bigger role beyond CNN and this new company? Um, he's definitely like a winner, a winner in all of this. And in terms of the, the other thing, you know, the, in terms of news, one of the things CNN, I think, that really changed about CNN during the Trump era was that they, you know, they really, they enabled and they empowered their hosts to have a point of view and a perspective in a way that you didn't, you know, uh, associate with CNN in the past, you know, to, to yeah. something is crazy. We're going to say it's crazy. And I, and I think there was a lot of like impassioned, uh, you know, sort of like expressions of, of views from, from the hosts that 100%, some people just think they're liberal, they're left now, you know, and that's that's what CNN has become. You know, I think other people feel like this is what the moment called for. And, you know, they were, they were you know, just calling out things that were utterly insane and, you know, uh, calling a spade a spade or however you want to 
put it. Um, now that they don't, there's not as much of a need for that anymore, right? Because things aren't as insane. There's probably not like this, you know, I think these things are more normal now. So I think that like, is CNN going to kind of continue in that trajectory of really kind of having more viewpoint um, opinion, you, you know, you, you could say, especially, um, you know, with, with, with the primetime roster, you know, or does it kind of go back to being, you know, just kind of this more like stayed kind of like wire service on television sort of, sort of proposition. Um, you know, that all depends on the, on the news cycle and the story. Um, but I just, I just can't see that it, it would, it will look the same as it did during Trump because just things are not crazy anymore. <laughs> anymore. Do you agree? You, you watch, you watch. Yeah. I mean, yes. I also can say this as someone who I worked at CNN. I think I left, uh, almost exactly six years ago. And then I, so I left the week that Trump announced, I think. So it was a crazy time. Everything changed after I left. Uh, so, so I guess around the time that I left, it was completely calling balls and strikes. There was no opinion. There was no, nothing. It was, it was really like a wire service, as you said. And then maybe a year and change later, I got hired back as a contributor at CNN. And things, I guess, had started to move a little bit more in the direction of having a take on things, but not really. Like in the entire year that I was a contributor there, there was some sort of calling a spade a spade, particularly from Don Lemon when I would be on his show. He was like a little bit more apt to. Mm, he was on the cutting edge of, yeah. of the uh, yeah. view having but no one else, like no one else would, would say like, this is crazy. And all the panels were balanced. Um, like there was a reporter, maybe there was someone on the left and maybe there was someone on the right. And, and it actually like, as a contributor there was tricky for me. Cause it felt like, I don't, I know when something's right or wrong as a reporter. And I feel like we work at a place where we can sort of say something's right or wrong. And we're so lucky to do that. And it was hard for me to not be at a place that could do that. Um, but I think so much has shifted since then. And that's that was, you know, three years ago. So there's a big shift. I think that it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I think once you once you're out there saying like this is right and this is wrong or this has gone too far, it's hard to dial that back. I just think we're not gonna be in a situation where things are so obviously wrong anymore. Yeah. And I think that maybe you may see it less, not because we're sort of dialing things back, but because people aren't so outraged by what's happening. And the other thing, so I think the thing that won't change about CNN, and this is always, I think, kind of like what they've always been able to fall back on is that there will be another category five hurricane that, you know, uh, wreaks havoc on the United States or another war. You know, they have the largest kind of like global of all the cable news networks or even, or even maybe TV news, I guess that, you know, they have the largest like global news gathering apparatus and the ability to, to, to parachute into, you know, the dark corners of the world when, when things go bad there or whatever. And, and you know, I think that's something that they, um, you know, will, will continue to be a strength for them, no matter, no matter what, you know, no matter what the political climate is, you know, the, you know, the next time there is a coup somewhere or wherever, like this, this is a network I think you can most count on having boots on the ground all over the world where they, where they need to be.
Yeah, you're totally right. You're you're 100% right. That's when, God forbid, because we live in this country and our country is too chicken shit to do anything about gun violence, but when there is a shooting in this country, you turn on CNN mm-hmm. and that's their brand and they're excellent at, at covering breaking news. My last question for you, and and you sort of brought up the you know opinion hosts in the primetime hour, and I have to ask you because it was very interesting to me in your your magazine story. What do you think the fate is of of Rachel Maddow at MSNBC? Mm, this is, I, I thought your reporting was super interesting. I was wondering if you were going to ask this ask this question, and mm-hmm. you know you you know you you know MSNBC very well, so I'm I'm as eager to hear your thoughts as you are as you are mine. I'm going to let you take this. So when I was um, reporting this story, there was people like sources, like legit connected, plugged in sort of people who had no like intel or information, but were kind of saying like, you know, I just feel like I could just see her like taking a bow, you know, like whenever her next contract's up, whatever, I don't know when her next contract's up or whatever, but like people just felt like I was getting the sense of like I could see, and I, I kind of wrote just in my own language in the story, like what if Rachel Maddow just wants to go, you know, like relax in her, you know, Western Massachusetts farmhouse and, you know, go fishing, which she loves to do and write some more books. Or whatever. And I think that like, you know, that's kind of like a real <laughs> question for MSNBC. Um, I think people do wonder like, you know, she is, you know, at the top of her game and especially with like the Russia story, this was like, Maybe you could say that's peak Rachel Maddow or whatever, and she's had this such a good run. Like, how long does she need to keep doing this? Or you know, so I just got a sense that people are very much attuned to what happens with her. I don't know how these things go. I mean, there's always like whenever someone's contract's going to be up, there's always this like speculation, and they're going to leave, and this and that, and how much of that is the agents just like trying to get a better deal or whatever. But I definitely feel like the sense I got reporting this was that it's just like in the air, you know, because people, I, a lot of people feel like. Rachel is MSNBC and that is like, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, I, you, I don't know if you agree with this as someone who, who, um, you know, was on MSC, MSNBC quite frequently knows some of the personalities there, but you know, this morning, Joe and Rachel Maddow are the biggest franchises. Um, and Rachel Maddow is in prime time, which is the most important, um, time of the day for cable news. And, and I think probably has the most like rabid devoted fan base. Right. So when you, if, if, if Rachel Maddow did decide to, um, call it a day whenever her next deal is up or, or, or whatever, you know, what would that mean? I asked the, the new president of MSNBC this specifically. Um, and she said, you know, we have a very strong bench and at any time we have people that we can move up and they're cultivating, you know, new stars and new talent. And that's, and that's true. There's a lot of people that have, I think, risen up there in the past four years that, um, you know, are, are much bigger personalities than, than they were before. But it's a really good question, and now you, you know, and now I, I won't let you off the hook. Tell me what you think. <laughs> I, I I agree with everything you're saying, and I'm I'm fascinated by everything you're saying, and I think MSNBC has cultivated a lot of young stars. She's a friend of mine, but I think Nicole Wallace is incredible, and um, I can say this from being on every single one of those shows a million times. There are like three shows when I'm on them that I get and it's a number of texts from people I know when I'm on them and it's morning, Joe, Rachel and Nicole. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have a rabid fan base at four o'clock in the afternoon is unusual. I can understand it at 6am and I can understand it at 9pm, but, but it is really striking that so many people who are gainfully employed will text me when I'm on a show at four o'clock in the afternoon. 
and that that says something to me. But Rachel is irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Um, being a reporter on her show is different than being on any other show. Uh, the staff at that show takes their job very seriously. And Rachel is an excellent question asker and she's incredibly smart and wildly prepared. And so it's kind of an irreplaceable thing. That doesn't mean that other people can't do their own irreplaceable thing at, at that hour, but I think it would leave a real hole for them as would if Joe and Mika decided to do something different, you know, like they're, these are kind of irreplaceable things that they've created at MSNBC and that's why they're so successful and why the viewers I think are so loyal because you don't get what they offer anywhere else on TV. So I, I do think that if people would choose to move on, I literally have no idea if anyone is contemplating that, but the, the, the speculation that you put out there as to like, you know, she's done the thing. She did an incredible job the last four years and she has a really nice life. Is there a world in which someone who had done the thing and lives a really nice life would want to just live the really nice life? I could imagine it. If I had done what Rachel did and I also had interest outside, I would I would not do it anymore. It's a, it's a really hard job. It's relentless. The hours are crazy. Uh, the pressure is really high. So if I were her, would I be thinking about that? Yes. Um, Rachel Maddow, if you're listening, uh, you know, just uh, some things to think about. Exactly. I would, I would, these things are cyclical too. You know, I mean, I remember covering media when it was like all about Keith Olbermann and, you know, what, yeah. what is MSNBC without Keith Olbermann? And, you know, Rachel is the one who filled that, that void, you know? So, I mean, I guess we don't know who who would be who will be the next. Um, Joe stepped in for Imus, right? Like it's you're a hundred percent right. This is this is what happens. You you think someone's irreplaceable, and then someone comes and replaces you, and then that's the cycle of life. You're totally right, but it's it's an interesting question, and it's an interesting time to ask those questions because we are sort of at a new point in cable news, and a point where I agree with you that things are never going to go back to where they were. We've got digital contenders, we've got cord cutting, we've got a slower news cycle, all this perfect storm stuff that is uh, that makes the, the landscape ripe for a change. And and frankly, Joe, it makes your job so interesting and your perspective so valuable here. And I can just imagine that over the next few months, few years, that we will be relying on you and your brain and your sources and your excellent reporting to help make sense of all of it. Well, I will come back on, you know, uh, four years from now when when they're in the, um, you know, what is the future of cable news after Biden's first, whatever it is, you know, we we can revisit and see if we, uh, if our predictions wore out. Exactly. If we're having this conversation three years from now and Donald Trump is running again and we're saying, is this going to be a resurgence of cable news? I'm quitting the business and I am I am moving to Rachel's house in Massachusetts and just going fly fishing. So that's where we'll be. Let's just hope that doesn't happen. That's, that's, let's just pretend you never even said it. Just <laughs> well, Joe, thank you so much for stopping by. We'll see you back here soon because we're going to need all of your insight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to my guest co-host, Joe Pompeo, and Joe Hagan will be back next week. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. 
Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 and, of course, our great producer, Brett Fuchs. And thanks to our sponsors as well. Please support them any way you would support this podcast. We'll see you right here next week.